0: All right, guys, welcome in to the Illuminati podcast sponsored by Matrix Hormones. You can call them at 813 333 2226. Again, that number is 813 333 2226. If you're not feeling right, you're feeling down the dumps, you feel like calling, you you probably need to, you know, check out, make sure all your hormones are balanced. Uh, they can do that for you. Um, whether it's, you know, B12 shots or, uh, you know, testosterone maybe or, you know, just <clears throat> making sure everything checks out. Uh, you can go to matrixhormones.com and give them a buzz. Let them know that the Daily Stampede sent you. Call them at 813-333-2226. All right, guys. Well, <clears throat> it's, uh, a lighter podcast, a younger podcast tonight. Um, we've got Vito, Seth, and Nathan here. Um, Colin's doing something. Um, Stieg's doing whatever. So we're going to hang out for a little bit, talk. You're, you're not going to get as much nonsense from Colin, uh, You'll get some like real news and stuff, so that's always fun. Um, real quick before we get into it. Um, you know, last year we had a watch party for the Tulsa game and it was a huge success for uh for the Daily Stampede and it was great to have all the fans come out and we're doing it again. Uh October twenty sixth, uh three at three forty five against uh ECU. Um not three thirty. Not 4 uh, o'clock. 345. <laughs> Man, TV's weird. Yeah. Um, so we're going to be at the Beefo Brady's in uh, South Tampa at Poncia. Um It's where we had it last year. A lot of people turned out. It was great. I think we raised close to $1,000 for the site that helped us send Stieg to Houston and Connor to Houston and to, uh, to the road games that we go to. And um, you know, this is a labor of love the daily stampede. You know, we we break news, uh we give you some snarky content and uh hopefully help you get a little bit smarter in the process uh without getting too bogged down in the minutia. Um so we would love for you guys to come out and uh join us. Um <clears throat> maybe hopefully it's not a uh you know, last second field goal against the trash team to win. And USF kind of wins comfortably, and you can just drink and celebrate and have a good time. Um, This is kids friendly. You know, it's beef up radius. So please bring out your your kids, your family, your wife, your sister in law, your daughters, everyone. Um, So I think it'll be a lot of fun. Um, Vito, you were there last year, right?
1: I was. How was it? Did you enjoy yourself? I enjoyed myself very much. And even though last second field goal against Tulsa, as time expires, that was the most excited i've ever seen a bunch of bulls fans together in that moment before we all realized like oh wait this is a really bad tulsa team that we took down to the wire but hey at that moment as that field goal went through that was pretty exciting that was a riveting game we were all in it we gave away prizes meeting people was fantastic i forgot to pay for my food and connor paid for it it was hilarious oh so perfect perfect. Uh, absolutely hey man Dine and Dash baby. Don't do it at B Phil Brady's though, because
0: twenty percent of the proceeds uh go back to the daily stampede. Um, we will have tickets to give away, some other goodies um, from the mothership, hopefully, and uh it'll be a lot of fun. Um, so guys, let's talk about the BYU game real quick. Woo. I gotta I gotta I gotta get this off my chest. You know, um, what if I told you? I'm going straight ESPN 30 for 30 right here. What if I told you USF was outgained by 124 yards, threw for 72 yards, was penalized 11 times for 105 yards, had the ball for 15 fewer minutes, was minus one in the turnover category,
1: and still won. Would you believe me?
2: i would have said you're crazy
1: right in this in this era in this economy
0: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely um it's one of the those weird you know uh, bill connelly always has you know those box score games he always you know comes back to and kind of breaks down the you know um post game you know win factors and i gotta believe this game is probably on the lower end like just taking the stats and Plugging it in and playing the game ten times, I don't see how USF wins this game more than twice. Um, literally everything went against them. Um, I mean BYU was twelve of twenty-two on third down. They were uh, BYU had a fifteen to five first down advantage in the first half, and USF was only down nine um, or six. I can't count. What's 16 minus 7 is 9. I was right. A niner. Nine. I'm a writer, not a mathematician, guys. Um, I I couldn't believe it. Um, looking at the stats, if you just look at the stats, it was like, okay, how the hell did USF win this game? But uh, being there, it kind of felt like USF was never really out of the game after they scored that touchdown uh, from McLeod to Wilcox. What are your guys' thoughts? Seth, what do you think from the press box there?
2: Um just kinda just back to the overall game thing, another stat that uh Connolly is really big on is drive finishing. And that is kind of where the difference was made too, is USF converted their red zone opportunities into touchdowns and BYU converted a lot of them into field goals. So they're able to kind of make up the difference there, um, which is nice to see. I know you guys said last year they really struggled in the red zone. Um they've been pretty Good to that so far, but uh, from the press box view, um, the thing that struck me is that even though statistically, you kind of look at it and say there's really no way they should have won this game. Just watching from up there, you saw a lot of missed opportunities to win this game by a lot more. Um, it's one of those kind of ones where you you kind of hate to say it, uh, but you know if um, you know if Blake Barnett's out there um a little bit maybe they scored three or four more touchdowns just because there was some stuff that was open um that uh Jordan with his hand injury wasn't able to hit and so that so being up in the press box and seeing it it wasn't quite as kind of crazy for them to come back and win as it was statistically just because you could see and we kind of talked to each other a, a few different times there's stuff open um, there was just missed, or bad throw or just missed, um, missed read, uh, quite a few times. It could have resulted in three or four more easy touchdowns for USF.
0: Yeah. I mean, I agree. I mean, those last, those final three BYU drives, they ran 30 plays and gained. Oh God. I'm trying to do quick math 118. One. 72. They gained 172 yards on those final three drives and scored nothing. Um, You know, a lot of empty calorie yards. uh, Those you know, those last three drives. You know, uh, missed field goal and then two turnover on downs. It's it's impressive that USF was able to find a way to win a game where. I mean, if you just, if you had just looked at the box score without knowing the
1: score, you would have thought BYU won by like 21. Yeah. Um, you know, another thing about this game, too, is they never, uh, for the first time in a very long time, you saw uh, defensive sequences that they were actually able to make stops. It almost seemed like it was tailor made that, okay, this is when they're going to break and they're going to give up the big score. But they were be- able to bring the pressure. I mean, they had, it's what six sacks for the first time since 2012 or something like that? Yeah, uh, the most sacks, um, and uh, even offensively, making adjustments and realizing that we don't need to pass the ball. We can, we have success running it and figuring out a way to make it happen. I mean, just over the past couple of years, you feel like you don't see that. You, you you see a team that would probably lay down or try not to try do anything different, but. The, the guys believed in it, and they played well and played hard, especially at the end of that game. So that's something that felt def- very odd, especially looking at that box score. If you put this game in 2017 – or uh, 2018, rather, uh, you probably see this as one of those games that meh, they hung around for a little bit and probably got blown out in the end. But, I mean, that I understand BYU was on their third-string quarterback at that at, at some time, but still, you know, all these guys are on scholarship, like Seth likes to say. I mean – at the end of the day, it's still a good game, and it was still a good victory for them to kind of come out of that.
2: So uh, you guys can answer this a lot better than me. Uh, BYU's going in. I think it was, they were up 10 nothing at this point. They have the ball inside of the five-yard line. Last year, they have kind of easily walked in for a touchdown. Yes. And then this year, you hold them to a field goal, and that's kind of the, uh, you know, they they kind of rise up. Uh, I think there's a couple, there's one or two plays from that sequence we're going to go over in the film room, just because they were so vital and so key. Uh, but that, I mean, that right there, just even being down ten, possibly about to go down seventeen, and you kind of, you know, you kind of bow your, bow your, bow your neck, bow your back, and and hold them to a field goal. There is a really, really big deal.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this defense you know that people people may say you know they gave up a lot of yards but that i mean BYU ran 89 plays um which again it goes down to those you know those first couple of drives for USF they went uh three and out fumble three and out three and out so i mean you you've got 10 plays compared to BYU's uh 19 wow math on the fly is hard 25 plays um, so it just kind of piled on and then BYU had, uh, five drives of 10 or more plays. Um, it just kind of kept churning and he thought, okay, if this defense is on this field for s- this long, they're going to start to fade. And it started to look like that. And then, you know, they got close to the USF uh, red zone or inside the red zone and just they did not let them in. And, uh, that's just something vastly different than what we've seen in the last year and a half or so, um, which is a good sign. Um, but I think it kind of leads to my next question. Do we do we know what this team is yet? We are halfway through the season. Do we know what this team is?
2: I think in in some ways you do. I think this is a group that – I think you know at this point that this is a group that plays hard. Um, I haven't seen even, even the first game against Wisconsin when they were getting, uh, kind of manhandled a little bit, especially defensively, they didn't quit. They were still playing pretty hard in the second half. So I think, I think there's that this is a team that's going to play hard and they're obviously haven't, um, you know, it's not a team that's given up on each other or the coaching staff. They play really hard. I think they're still finding their identity offensively, but defensively, I think you kind of have an idea what they are. Um, you still hoping they improve in some areas, especially third downs. That's kind of their big, uh, kind of the big problem for them. Um, but yeah, for the most part, it's a lot of kind of still waiting to see how some things pan out, and um, and I don't think this week's going to really help you find much either, just because of how different Navy is schematically than most teams are going to play. So you even after this week, you still may not know exactly what you have, which is odd.
1: It's yeah. kind of funny because uh, offensively, um, uh, as we're going through the film rooms, I think this is really great for this year especially because we're able to see the concepts and what the, the offensive line, what the receivers and backs are being asked to do that's different from the past year and even back in the Willie Taggart era. So as the games go on, you can see the progression or see what was supposed to be there or what was missed. And I mean, a couple strikes to Eddie McDoom and this is a blowout. And I mean, there are other plays that were left on the table. And how much of that is to injury and how much of that is to skill set and how much of that is to scheme. It. I, I feel like you're seeing improvement. And two weeks ago after at the SMU game, we all thought we were going to get destroyed by a, a BYU just because we thought we were going to get outcoached and outmanned. But that wasn't the case. In fact, USF ended up coming back in a game that they might have laid down uh, with last year. I think there's a lot to be seen. Um, defensively, they looked fantastic. And then, you know, it's funny, you look at you know, again, two weeks ago, when you're chasing your tail for so long, how, how well can you be? But I mean, if they can play defense like that and they show they have the horses to do it, I mean, they can compete if the offense can keep up and every game, it seems like they're improving. Although, you know, in the slack during, uh, during the game, it's, uh, right before the comeback happened, it seemed like, uh, we were all thinking the complete opposite again. So, you know, it, we have peaks and valleys in our conversation as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you, you mentioned the defense. I just want to throw this out. Uh, 11 different players recorded a tackle for a loss for USF on Saturday. Um, led by Dwayne Boyles, uh, two and a half and then followed up by, uh, Antonio Greer's two. He had two sacks and that I think they may have been two of the bigger sacks of the game. He had the, I think he had the final sack, uh, of the game on the second to last play. And then I think, him and Dwayne Boyles went back-to-back on sacks on one of BYU's first drives. That kind of set the tone uh, for the defense a little bit on Saturday. And, and I, can't, I can't say uh, enough about how much Dwayne Boyles and Greer have improved um, from their freshman seasons. It didn't seem like Greer was ever going to see the field. Um, and Boyles has been able to kind of take that, you know, that will backer strong side to kind of roll and do pretty damn well with it and being able to cycle through a couple of linebackers, not really miss much, you know, including with Patrick Macon and some of the other guys that they like to cycle through. It's, it's good to see that there's still some depth there. Um, Antonio Greer, a quick injury update. Greer had ice on his shoulder. Strong said he'll have to go through, uh, you know, practice this week to figure out what's good if he's good to go um same with brad cecil with a uh, shoulder injury and a ankle injury and then uh kevin kegler did not play on saturday and he's also going to be a uh day by day week by week kind of guy so we'll see um that johnny ford's out for an indefinite amount of time um he did post something on Twitter today that was, um, I don't know, semi ridiculous a little bit. Um, he quote retweeted Antonio Brown of all people, where Antonio Brown said free AB and Johnny quote retweeted it and said free Jono. Um, I, th- I think I can say uh, it, it's Johnny Ford's own doing. So, uh, freeing him, he has to free himself from himself. So we'll, we'll see, um, what happens there, but, uh, he did eventually delete it, but he, it was, uh, interesting to say the least that he even posted it.
2: Has there been any update on, uh, Barnett just hearing, uh, I know strong said Monday that he wasn't going to play. Have you heard anything else about him? last week they kind of made it seem like he was having to go see other doctors to have him take a look at. Is this something that's going to be an extended absence for him? Um, Yes,
0: I have heard. Um, It doesn't seem likely that he plays in the next couple of weeks. um, From what I can understand, as you mentioned, they kind of went to go see other doctors and, I don't know the full extent of the injury. Um, I've been told it could be multiple weeks. Hopefully not. I think having him pushing Jordan McLeod um, is a great thing, especially with Jordan's hand being – hand, wrist being whatever it is. Uh, it's tough only playing uh, playing with one scholarship quarterback. Because if Jordan goes down, what do, do you run? You're going to run Kirk Riegel out there against Navy, against Temple. um that's scary. It's a scary situation. So you got, you got Navy this week, ECU the following week and a bye week. So shooting, I, if I was a betting man and understood how coaches think a little bit, I think they're going to try to get to the bye week and then reassess Barnett's injury and see where they sit from there. That's pure speculation on my part, but it, it, the common sense in me thinks they're going to try to get to the bye week and then reevaluate from there. Um, But it does seem like Blake's
1: going to be out a little bit. So, a follow-up question. If Blake was available to play and um, Jordan McLeod said he had a stinger as an addition to his hand, do you think they might have made a quarterback switch uh, during the BYU game?
0: You know, it's possible. It really is. Um, But I think we'll see, uh, hopefully, in the the film room and kind of what – what we've all noticed is they just, they ran the ball down BYU's throat. Like, I could be the one handing the ball off to Jordan Cronkright. Um, I, I don't think it would have mattered. Um, but it's possible just to kind of give them that threat of a pass. And again, you know, Seth, you mentioned that If, if Blake's out there and healthy, I think with Jordan ailing, he hits those post routes and, and throws it to and, the corner.
1: And
2: that's not to say that, uh, Healthy Jordan doesn't hit those either, but he even kind of – he even said uh, himself after the game, Jordan did, that he kind of – he said he went into kind of told the coaches, hey, I'm not really going to be able to throw the ball much more. So it's kind of what he said after the stinger or, or something to that effect where he's like, hey, uh, can we run the ball a little more and help me out? um So I want that that – I think maybe that could have been a possibility that if that stinger happened that early in the game that you may have seen the backup, but he kind of gutted through it. And he did make some good throws in that game even after that. He made a throw to uh, Wilcox on like a cross between two or three guys. It was really, really nice. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know what would have happened if uh, you had healthy Blake as a backup there because he he would definitely wasn't himself. Jordan wasn't.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think it could have been a, you know, a little switch maybe at halftime or something or uh, just to give him a blow to try to get some feeling back into his hand before having to run right back out there. Um, but <clears throat> we'll see. Um, I want a special shout out to Trent Schneider who just bombed the ball down the field the entire night. Uh, five punts for an average of 52.8 yards, which uh, resets his, uh, school record of average yards per punt in a game that he set, uh, at Georgia Tech, uh, in week two. Um, but I mean, none better than that 61 yard bomb on the, the final punt of the game that kind of flipped the field and forced BYD to drive all the way down the field before kind of just running out of time. And, uh, I mean, hats off to him. I think him crunk in the offensive line and then. Dwayne Boyles won the Players of the Week, and they were much, much, much deserved.
2: Yeah, uh, just going back and kind of getting stuff ready for the film room, Kronk ran like a, he ran like a wild man last week. Um, I thought he looked like a totally different back from the guy we saw earlier in the year, whether that was uh, a nagging injury or just being more comfortable with his scheme, but he looked unbelievable. Uh, last weekend, especially compared to kind of how he was looking and just a little unsure of himself earlier in the season. And then the offensive line did a really good job of kind of coming on as the game went along. And um there's, we'll, we'll show a few examples of the film room of stuff they weren't able to do a few weeks ago that they did really well in the game, such as kind of, for example, the, the outside zone, which they were having a lot of trouble with earlier in the season. They ran it to perfection a few times in the game. So, I think on on the offensive side of the ball, those guys played really, really well and really stepped up, and that's really the reason they were able to come back and win the game.
0: Yeah, uh, definitely. And uh, I think it's a good spot to kind of transition to Navy. Um, it's Navy week. I'll be up there. Seth will be up there with me. Um, I think, you know, Khan says he's going, so we'll see. Um, there's going to be a lot of alumni up there. It's going to be a good time. If if you haven't made the decision, to go to Navy, um, please do, uh, from everyone I've talked to, it's one of the better experiences that you'll have in the AAC on a road trip. Um, you know, there's obviously two lane, but that's a different kind of fun. Um, Navy is kind of more of the pageantry of the cadets walking in the stadium and the, the campus and the stadium itself are apparently beautiful. And I'm going for the first time, uh, Up to that area, I'm going to go sightseeing uh, Friday afternoon, and uh, it'll be a lot of fun um, to just kind of walk around DC for a little bit before heading to Annapolis on Saturday. Um, Do have an early ass flight on Sunday morning to get back here. I think my flight's at like 6:45 to get in at nine. I am not looking forward to that. But ooh, those are not fun. Such as life, as they say, Um, Seth the triple um navy's been pretty good at it this year malcolm perry is kind of making this engine run what have you seen so far in the you know your prep for your friday column that um kind of may give usf some uh, problems offensively uh
2: well i i mean for First of all, the quarterback is a stud. He's he's kind of the guy that makes everything go. Um, you know, a lot of teams when they're getting ready to defend the triple, they kind of try to figure out okay, what is who's the guy kind of we need to if we can stop one guy, who's kind of the guy that makes it go. Sometimes it's the fullback on the dive and the trap and stuff like that. Uh, sometimes you don't want the guy pulling, pitching to speed guys, but with them, it's the quarterback. He's um, He's an unbelievable playmaker. He's an unbelievable athlete. He's really fast and really good in space. And he throws the ball pretty well, too, or, uh, at least better than you would think traditionally at Navy. Um, I think on paper, this is probably the toughest game for USF since Wisconsin. Uh, statistically, Navy ranks high in almost every metric tied to winning. Um Besides turnovers, uh, their turnover margin isn't great, but other than that, they're, they're pretty high in every single metric. So, you so, know, and, and then they come in, not only are they kind of playing well within the system, the triple option flex bone system can give you trouble if you are not disciplined and you do not fit the run perfect every single time. Um, I asked Coach Strong on Monday at the press conference, you know, how, what they were going to do. And he didn't really give me a, answer kind of straight up just because I don't know if it's a game plan thing or or what they're planning on doing exactly but if you show them the same look consistently they're going to gash you. If you just line up in one line in one kind of front and don't do a lot of stuff out of it, um, they're going to kill you. So USS feeds are gonna have to show different fronts to them which I'm not sure if they want to do that. Um, Coach Strong, when I asked him, I, I kind of asked him, are you going to show different fronts pre-snap or do you want to show the same front and maybe do different things post-snap? Um, he said he want to make sure they got lined up. So he doesn't want to be changing too much. Um, so maybe that, maybe that precludes them from subbing so much, which they had problems with against BYU, just kind of subbing linemen in and out. They got caught with 12 guys on the field and had to take a timeout. Um, so. You know, so you can either kinda of show them a bunch of different looks pre-snap and then kind of make them try to figure it out as they go along, or show them the same look and then maybe change up the keys, maybe change up who's take who's the dive player, who's the quarterback player. But well, that puts some more mental stress on your defense. So that's gonna be kind of the interesting thing to see is if they try to play it with different looks or the different looks post-snap or if they try to just keep it simple and show the same look consistently. But if they do that, I think they're going to have some trouble. So that's kind of the, the dilemma you get when you face a triple option, especially when you only get one week to prepare for it. It's It's really hard to defend, and you kind of got to pick what am I going to take away. And you also have to pick what am I going to give up because you're not going to be able to take away everything unless you just physically dominate the other team, which I don't think is going to happen just with how – Well, they run the system, even if you're physically dominant, they're so good at cutting and that kind of stuff that they can kind of take those advantage away. So it's uh, definitely going to be a tough test for the defense.
0: Yeah. uh, So Malcolm Perry has uh, 102 rushing attempts. He's gained 604 yards, uh, averaging 5.9 yards a carry, and has 12 touchdowns. Um, The next closest guy is Nelson Smith. Uh, I believe he's a slot back. Um, 74 carries, uh, 291 yards, 3.9 carry, six touchdowns. Um, it's Malcolm Perry. You have to, you have to stop Malcolm Perry. And I think this is where Kevin Kegler may be so vital. You kind of, um, USF had success against Navy. A lot of teams have had success, success against Navy going with five defensive linemen and having Kegler kind of be the pivot in that five man defensive line. Uh, you can, you know, put, Pinkney or Green with Slade, Livingstone, Reeves and kind of mix and match of that, uh, that kind of unit. But I think Kegler getting push is going to be key in that kind of a gap area where you can stop the dive, stop the, you know, the the wraps and kind of the the QB ISOs, uh, you know, up the middle. You've got to be able to stop that. Um, <clears throat> I will share this one story from Media Day. Um, so I was up there in July, um, and I spoke with the uh, Navy Center. I'm forgetting his name. I'll have to look it up. Uh, and I asked him, you know, how important is it having the same quarterback behind you calling the play so the cadence is all right and, you know, the hand placement and everything, <laughs> Uh, because, you know, last year, Navy ran through like four or five quarterbacks trying to figure something out. Um, and he said having Malcolm back there is so vital because it's the same, it's the same cadence. It's the same sounds every single time. And with the triple option, it's a, it's a timing thing. You've got to be on the same page at all times. And we've, we've seen the, the fruits of that labor come about. They're, you know, four and one. They're kind of blowing everyone out. Um, yeah, you know, they've, they've crushed their opposition, um, kind of to the ground and their defense, uh, not, not all too shabby either. I think they're, they're allowing 2.8 yards a rush. They're averaging under 20 points a game, uh, opponents. Navy is, I think Navy's legit. I think it took them a while to kind of figure out the new, you know, cut block rules and it get, it took them a year to figure it out and they've seemed to figure it out, um, Coach Ken's a smart dude. He was on the podcast last year. He's a smart, smart guy, and he just he was able to figure it out. Uh, last week they blew out Tulsa 45-17, beat Air Force a couple weeks before that, 34-25. This is going to be a tough game. I don't know if USF can win. I don't know if they can capitalize on their possessions. Uh, they're very, very limited possessions that they'll have, and that's going to be key. You have to capitalize on the— you know, eight or nine possessions that you may get can't turn the ball over or you are screwed.
2: Yeah. And, and Coach Strong to emphasize you got to start. There's no like you can't have the same start you did against BYU. You got to start fast. And I think this is going to be a week where uh, catch and run is going to be really important offensively because they will give up, they'll put eight in the box and stop the run and they'll kind of play. Um, what appears to be, I'm still kind of watching more, but what appears to be kind of cover three behind it. So they'll give up kind of short throws and try to rally and tackle. But, you know, if you can win outside one-on-one, break a tackle and get some run after catch, um, that's going to be kind of, I think it's going to be a key in the game is run after catch. Um, and like you said, you're going to have limited opportunities. So you really got to take advantage of it. Um, I'll be interested to see defensively, you know, there's, there's two things if I had coach strong on true serum, that I would ask him. Um, The first was the question I asked just to see if I could get him to give me some information on Monday. Just kind of what what kind of – are you going to show a bunch of looks? Is it going to be pre-snap or post-snap? And the second question I would ask is if he's worried about Navy going tempo because they are a ball control offense typically. But so far this season, USF has had a lot of trouble with tempo. And I think Navy in the past has shown that they can go tempo if they want to. They usually don't want to, but if their defense is playing well and their and USF's offense is not getting off to a fast start, I think um that could be a wrinkle that gets thrown at the Bulls. If uh if they can go up tempo, that's when the SMU game when they were getting those big runs and getting totally out of gaps and guys not in their gaps, that was because of the fast tempo and if you can combine tempo with some of the option principles um that could be a recipe for a really really long day so i wonder if they're going to we're going to see any of that on saturday now knowing navy just you know that they may just want to stick with their ball control stuff but if they do go to some tempo that could be a big problem so it's kind of those are the that those are the kind of wrinkles that i'm interested in seeing yeah, and then, you know,
0: Navy's, they've run out of the shotgun a couple times this year. That's kind of completely different than what they've ever done before. It's kind of a little, uh, two lane, um, Willie Fritz style, which is just another added wrinkle that, god dang. I mean, how many more wrinkles can this Navy offense get? Um, <clears throat> I think, uh, you know, in the red zone, Navy scoring on, scoring touchdowns on 91% of their possessions in the red zone. Uh, they're 20 of 22. Uh, compare that with their opponents. They're seven of 13 scoring touchdowns. Uh, you've got it. You've got to get off to a fast start. And you know, the score by quarter, Navy's, Navy wins the first quarter 44, uh, 13. And then in the second quarter, it's 70 to t- uh, 20. You cannot get behind this team because if you're trying to throw to catch up, um, there's going to be a lot of three and outs, a lot of, you know, five and outs, six and outs, and your defense is going trotting back onto the field for another, you know, bloodletting of a 22 play drive. It's, you can't let that happen or you're, you're going to be so screwed. Um, and. Even in the passing, you have to keep it honest, you know, Malcolm Perry's is completing 65% of his passes, 489 yards, three scores, um, averaging almost 100 yards a game, which is completely different than what Navy's done in the past. Uh, they they can, he can hit the, hit the deep ball. I think they're averaging over like 12 or 19 yards of completion.
2: Um, they're number, they're number one in the country in yards per pass attempt. They, don't, they haven't attempted a lot of them, but they're number one in yards. So they're above Oklahoma. They're above Washington State. They're above Alabama, LSU. Number mm-hmm. one passing yards per attempt is Navy.
0: Yep, uh, 12.4, and then their average uh, per catch is 19.8. They're going to hit you. They're, you'll never know it, and they're going to hit you for a 25-yard gain. You're going to be like, what the hell is starting five?
2: Mm-hmm. That's why I wonder, I wonder if you'll see some – um, You know, some guys go to the bare front, so they go to that five-man front. I wonder if you'll see some four-man front with two high safeties and play in like a true quarters defense where those safeties are run game players or you could even play uh, where the safeties are run game players and they can kind of read number two. Because that's the guy they get releasing down the field for the big plays is the number two guy a lot of times. Um, so every now and then it'll be number one kind of on a post. But a lot of times it's they run that tail motion or that kind of orbit motion behind, make it look like the option. And then the wing on, you know, where the motion's coming to sneaks down the middle of the field and the, the safety bites up and gets beat so i wonder if you might play you might see them play some quarters where those guys are playing the safeties are having eyes on two so if he does release down the field they take him if he shows run they can come up and film your run players or you may even see the corners play up and play like a true blue cover kind of a hard flat like a like a cover two look traditional where they can be run players so that'll be interesting to see kind of what direction they want to go and everybody's kind of got different ways to stop it. Some guys go, uh, three, three stack. Some guys go the bare front. Some guys go even front. Like i talked to some people and they like to go even front and then head up on the guards with their D tackles. Um, just cause you know, it'll just try to kind of take off, take away the timing a little bit and just kind of given, making the reads a little cloudier. Um, so, It's going to be, that's, to me, that's going to be the most interesting thing. How are they going to attack it? And then if they want to try to, you can't really man it up because that's when those big plays happen. You get safeties flying down to fill and then the guy just sneaks down the field. So they have to play something to where they can't kind of be, they can't sell it all out for the run. Like you're saying they, if they do that, they will get shots over the top on them
0: you know i asked uh cuz i can't go to the the press conferences um due to my new job i talked to charlie on the the teleconference every week and i you know i asked him because i was asking about the health of uh kevin kegler i was like you know how vital is uh kegler going to be when you you know go into the bear front against navy which has had some success against them and he's kind of like shook me off and was like yeah we're not we're not we're not doing the bear front um i think he said like check your analysis or something like that um, I don't know if that was a vague shot at you there, Seth, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it could have been,
2: I didn't say, uh, I didn't say bare front. That's-
0: <laughs> I, I said, I said the <laughs> bare front. And then when he said, no, we're not going to do that. I thought, oh shit, did I, did I name the defense wrong? And I was like, I think it's still the bare front when you do that. So I don't know, maybe, yeah, five maybe, down. yeah, maybe he's just playing coy and didn't, didn't want to say anything. Um, but I'd be He's shocked fun. if he gets we don't his see shots
1: it. into a bond when he
0: can. I know he called me nate he called me Nathan on Monday, so ooh ooh you're in I, trouble. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. I don't so know he, if that's I a mean, good or bad he,
2: thing. He he probably doesn't want to put it out there if he is running right the bare front. Not, you don't want you really don't want them to have any extra time to prepare because the flexbone guys are masters of defeating pretty much every front. They've seen just about everything. So that's why if you show them the same look over and over, you're going to get killed. So this is one week where you really want to play close to the best that you can and uh, kind of spring it on them late. Then hopefully have some different things off of it.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, against, you know, against Georgia Tech last year, who uh, Khalid McGee called uh, Navy with athletes. I think USF gave up like over 600 yards of offense. So we'll, we'll see how... You know Charlie Strong and Coach BJM kind of figure out this uh, this triple. Uh, just thank God Georgia Tech went away from it. <laughs> Would have really sucked to have two triple option teams on this on the schedule. Well,
2: I mean, when you think about it, they lost to Georgia Tech anyway, so you could have got a little you could have got a little time looking at at least our conference. Yeah, you get some practice. Uh,
1: I always remember a big thing with Navy is penalties. I mean, the last time we went up to Annapolis, uh, the penalties killed us. Or killed USF and uh, Navy doesn't commit many of them. So as long as they can stay focused and don't uh, don't don't take any stupid penalties, I think that'll end up being a key there. Wait, you're telling me that
0: USF's going to have to be disciplined? <laughs> I mean, it would be ideal. Um, USF had 11 penalties for 107 yards last week. Uh, Navy's committed 25 penalties um, for
1: the entire season. Oh boy. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. It's like that one gif of the, of, uh, uh, what video game is it? It was like, oh shit, here we go again. Uh, (laughs) Grand Theft Auto, I think. That was it, yeah, GTA.
0: Yeah, uh, it's gonna be quite like that if, if USF can't stop shooting themselves in the foot. I mean, there's, I mean, how many bullet holes are in those shoes right now? Like, there can't
2: be much shoe left. You ever seen a Pineapple Express? Yes, yes. It's a little bit like that when the guy shoots his foot completely off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: exactly, exactly. Um, so get off to a fast start. You know, stop them. Stop them twice. I mean, it. If I'm USF, Charlie loves to defer to the second half, but against Navy, just if you win the toss, take the damn ball,
2: score. Get a stop, score, and then go from there. I think with how seems good simple, your, right? With how good your punter is punting, too. Even if you don't get a score, I think you won't get them. And you know the the fear is you you go three and out from the twenty five, and then you punt, and they got the ball in the forty five. But with how good the punter's you know the punter's punning, you you won't even taking the ball. I don't think you will lose even if you go three and out. Your field position won't be that compromised.
1: Yeah, those long drives are killers too. If you if you get them inside the twenty and they they go eighty yards, get a touchdown, and take you know eight nine minutes off the clock, that's that's how they're gonna kill you. Yeah. I think Memphis Memphis beat them by. I mean, they gave up a lot of that, but they bent uh, they bent but didn't necessarily break every time. And then they were able to get some really quick scores. And you know, once you're able to stay in it, then that kind of helps. But it doesn't help your defense really.
2: And now it's going to sound stupid because obviously they lost this game. But I'm pretty sure that the Memphis game is the only game they've trailed at kind of towards the middle part of the game. They were trailing. I don't think they trailed any of their other games. Um, so if you make them play catch up, then you can kind of get them out of what they want to do. So I'm just looking at, uh, I just pulled a Georgia Tech from last year. They're playing a version of Bearfront, it looks like. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, for sure, it just it it, uh, it just so, did, it just didn't go
2: well. Yeah, they got a nose. They got it looks like two threes. They're not. I don't think they're four eyes. It could be four eyes, but it looks like two threes. And then the and instead of having the ends on line of scrimmage, they're kind of uh, a little bit wider and displaced. But yeah, no, that's uh, they may be doing something different after watching a couple of these plays. Yeah,
0: um, you know, Navy was Navy was up at halftime against Memphis this year, and then. Um, they went three and out, uh, six yards, 12 play, or six, uh, six plays, 12 yards punt. Uh, I believe they either kicked a field goal or missed a field goal. It's not clear. And then Navy scored twice, uh, in the third quarter to kind of, or oh, excuse uh, Memphis. me, Memphis, Memphis scored twice in the third quarter to, uh, retake the lead. So it's get them, you gotta stop them early, figure it out and go from there. Um, you gotta string together a couple defensive stops. And that's kind of what USF did to last week against BYU was able to, you know, they went down 13, nothing, but they were able to string a couple stops together, get the, just give the offense enough time to kind of get going, find the groove, figure out what was going to work and then continue to do it. Um, so I think that's kind of it for Navy. Um, we are a basketball school. Um, and USF men's and women's basketball had their media days uh, yesterday. And uh, overall, pretty good. Um, three men's basketball players were selected to the preseason all-conference team. Uh, LaQuincy Redoux was named to the first team. And then David Collins and Alexis Yetna were named to the second team. The Bulls were picked fifth. Uh in the conference, uh, behind, uh, once my computer loads up and stops lagging, I'll let you know. Memphis
1: oh and Houston were tied for first.
0: Yep, sure, sure, yep.
1: Third uh, is yep. Cincinnati, fourth is Wichita State. Makes sense. Uh, Wichita
0: State, I think, has five freshmen, five sophomores. They're super young, super talented. Uh, I think USF kind of caught them off guard last year early on, and uh, you kind of saw Wichita State kind of get it together toward the end of the year much like USF did at the end of the year uh, two years ago so I think we're going to see that Greg Marshall squad that you normally see in Wichita State um, UConn I think they might be pretty good this year uh, but I, Lord willing they lose every single game um, and then rounding out Temple uh, has a new head coach SMU I think they're already down four bodies um, UCF has an entirely new roster I think there's only like one starter returning, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Tulsa trash, ECU trash, Tulane trash. Um, Ron Hunter, uh, Tulane's head coach, uh, kind of came back to New Orleans today and kind of went on a rant. He's like, we are not finishing last. We are not finishing last place. That is not going to happen here. Um so he's got to hope that Tulsa, UCF, SMU or ECU kind of shit the bed because I don't I Tulane's kind of in the same position that USF was 2 years ago. Uh it's a transition roster, lots of grad transfers, a lot of transfers, a lot of freshmen. I think th- there's going to be some growing pains with the green wave. Um, so they'll they'll hopefully get it figured out. Um but I don't think it'll be this year. This team, this conference has Six good teams, and I think they could all make the NCAA tournament or come pretty damn close or be a, a national seed in the NIT. Um, <clears throat> I think that's the kind of talent that this conference has. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun uh, to see. I think USF opens, I want to say, November 5th against Arkansas Pine Bluff. I think there's a scrimmage against like Stetson or something like that um later this month i think it's stetson uh so basketball's right around the corner guys
2: i know seth you love this i'm still trying to learn uh names of coaches and players for basketball so
0: (laughs) well you know pretty much everyone's back from last year so you can just watch all of last year's games and then figure it out from there i'll put them on loop i appreciate it thank you very much for that um it's going to be a lot of fun. I love, I love BG. He was on the podcast. Everybody, everybody knows. Um, he I wore we, Pippa. He did wear Pippa. Um, it, everyone knows like BG is the real deal. Um, and hopefully he's around for quite a while. Um, I think he signed a six year deal and he's in year three of a six year deal. You typically want coaches, um, to have at least four years remaining on a contract. Uh, for like recruit for recruiting purposes. Um, I know Jose Fernandez had a couple times where his contract went down to the last year um, with some former athletic directors. And I do not think he wants that. I don't think we want that to happen. It was. And so hopefully something happens here soon. Um, yep. So uh, October 29th, Tuesday. So the Tuesday after our watch party, uh, USF hosts St. Leo. I, I knew it was a green team. Uh, they host St. Leo at the Engling Center, and then they open the next. Uh, they open the season the following Tuesday against Arkansas Pine Bluff. What's really interesting is uh, for the non-conference play, USF doesn't have a true road game. All the road games are in tournament t- tournaments. Um, game and Nine Classic. Uh, they've got one at the Sunrise. Um, or the Orange Bowl basketball classic in uh, Sunrise, Florida, the Battleground 2K19 tournament in uh, Houston, um, and then they get into conference play. I think BJ's kind of uh, he's up to up the ante a little bit with con- uh, the non-conference games, and we'll see what this team's really made of. I'm excited for it. Um, Vito, you were a huge part of the Daily Stampede's coverage of men's basketball. What are you most excited about?
1: I'm really excited about the non-conference slate. They have a lot of uh they they up the ante a little bit. Uh really the whole conference is uh as well. Um it'll be really interesting to see before they have to play each other in conference uh how well that the, this these teams can do at a conference. The American Athletic Conference is getting some flack about is it a good basketball conference? I think it really is. It's going to be really fun to see some high-quality basketball games um, in the yingling center, both in conference and out of conference. And I mean, that new court is always going to be a lot of fun. I'm totally looking forward to having a, a big time game against Houston or Cincinnati, you know, for one of the top spots in the conference and being there to be able to film it or cover those games. So it'll be, uh, it'll be really interesting.
0: Yeah. I mean, we get Memphis and Houston at home this year. Um, they're part of the, you know, the, the home and aways, which are fantastic. Um, it's gonna be a lot of fun. We get Cincinnati at home. We finished up with SMU at home. Um it, I'm so excited for this season. Um it's gonna be a lot of fun. This team could probably do some damage in the tournament if they got into it. I think it if they can find the shooting stroke, um Zach Dawson I think is gonna be huge taking the place of T J Lang. Um <clears throat> as a, you know, maybe the three and D kind of guy. Uh not sure how well, Zach's defense is right now how helped how apart is because CJ Lang was phenomenal defensively for the Bulls last year. I think um, I think he maybe missed a little bit on the perimeter, but you still have uh, Quincy and David Collins as your primary backcourt guys. And Xavier Castaneda is kind of taking a leap this offseason from everyone I've talked to like that. He's going to be a real deal. Like if he, he's your third point, he's your third guard. You're doing all right.
1: Um and the, you know, the, the style of play um Brian Gregory likes to play, especially with these guys, is very fun too. If they can start getting going and playing high flying, a lot of three pointers, good defense. I mean, get get the, the city to buy in, get the students to buy in. The Young Center is a nice place to watch watch a basketball game. You have a men's and a women's team who are gonna be very good. It'll be very fun this uh fall and spring.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're going to find out if, there, if the Yangling Center was truly built on an Indian burial ground because um, it kind of seems like either one team's really good and the other team sucks or, or one team is kind of good and the other team, uh, half their roster's injured. Um, um, we're we're going to really see, it, you know, okay, we've got two good teams here playing at the Yangling Center. Are we are we just cursed or can we break the curse here? Um, transitioning to women's basketball. Once again, picked to finish second in the uh, preseason coaches poll, uh, and a podazic named all conference again, um, led the team in scoring after literally everyone got hurt. Um, it was just a brutal. It, you always have those seasons from hell injury wise. And that was, that was the 2018-2019 season for women's basketball, but Jose really reloaded, man. Some of the, the recruits he got are just phenomenal. And the the people coming back from injury who contributed, like uh Beatrice Jordal, I mean she's a walking double double in the post. And you still got Shea Leverett, Tamara Henshaw, um Elizabeth Eliza Pinzon. Like it's gonna be a fun team. I do have a bone to pick. Gino Oriema. Huh. You son of a bitch.
1: How, How could you? you? Trash zone.
0: Trash zone. That's got, uh, Colin mentioned it in Slack yesterday when we, when we brought that up. That's got to be some subliminal shot to the trash zone head coach. Like, okay, you're just going to, you're going to fail these expectations because I think you lost seven of, I think seven of your top eight players were seniors last year. Um, you're not going to succeed. And just, uh, I'm sure Jose gave Gino shit for it. Uh, they're very close, and you know it, it could even be possible that Jose was like, "Yeah, don't vote for us this year, pick someone else." So we'll we'll see. They're they're close like that, um, and it, I think it's clear that the only team that UConn is interested in playing going forward is USF women's basketball. I think that's been kind of made clear. It'll be fun. They were picked second. UCF was, UCF and Cincinnati were tied for third. Um, unlike the men's side, the, the bottom part of the women's conference is, uh, kind of trashy. Um, I think from number seven, two lane to Memphis, Wichita, Tulsa, ECU, SMU, I mean, you could pretty much interchange them all and they'd be all still kind of trash. So
1: we shall see. We it's shall really, see. It's really Houston is probably the only other decent yeah team, but I, I
0: think mean temple's got some got some girls that are pretty good but it's it's not anything to really write home about um, let's see real quick um, men's soccer beat ju I think three one tonight I think there's a pretty devastating injury or what seemed to be a devastating injury um, for Jacksonville hopefully that guy's okay oh. Uh, Carl said that someone was getting their neck, their spine stabilized, which is never good. Um, let's see, uh, saw uh, woman's volleyball lost. Uh, man, I mean, it's, it's not fun. It's really not fun right now. Um for volleyball, I think, uh, unfortunately, I think Courtney Draper may be, uh, I think her seat's a little hotter than Charlie Strong's right now. And that's, that's saying a lot. I think if we, And I think we asked this question a couple weeks ago, you know, who was was on the hotter seat, Courtney or Charlie, and I think it was Charlie by a mile. And uh, I think it may have switched a little bit here. Um, Any final thoughts, football, basketball, anything that you guys want to get off your chest that we haven't talked about so far tonight?
2: I just scanned through the Georgia Tech game, and I saw almost exclusively bare front just to – (laughs) <laughs> just, to, just to let you
1: know. Uh, but jokes on you, not using it this week. Um,
2: they, they did a lot of, uh, they did a lot of different stuff out of it, but it was a lot of kind of that base, but they, I mean, it appeared like they played it pretty well. So it'll be these guys, you know, and we'll see kind of in the film room, these guys know what they're doing on both sides of the ball. It's just about, um, this week's more about, Staying focused, which has been a problem at times for the players, especially you can see them with the penalties. But, um, I think they'll probably have a good plan. But yeah, there was a lot of bare front on that film last year. So feel vindicated. Uh, I do. What
0: a, I do feel yeah. vindicated. Thank you very much. That's how about, uh, you, you call for a guy to get fired and then he doesn't want to tell you what's actually going to happen. That's the weirdest thing. Yeah. <laughs> My bad. Or it was the smartest reverse jinx I've ever had. It was not a reverse jinx. I can't even yeah.
2: pretend to, that it was. I don't want to. I mean, I don't want to say that they're two and zero since the article, but I mean, you might have just lit a fire under them. <laughs>
0: hey, I do have a tendency to do that, but that was not
1: the intention for this one. I promise. I got it well, all. The reverse jinx. Lives on. Um, how about shout-out to Suzanne Ward and the uh, the uh, donations to the indoor practice facility slash football center that occurred during the BYU game for homecoming. Yep. Um, the fantastic uh,
0: job by them, uh, Suzanne Ward, who has – she lives in Oregon. She has been to every single USF football game since the very beginning, home and away. Every I- – Single game. I think the only person that can say that is maybe Jim Lauk. and I, I feel like he's missed a game or two.
1: That is like the type of de- dedication that I didn't think USF had from anybody. Um, so that is amazing, and the fact that she was able to donate 1.5 million to the to the USF Football Center is.
0: Yep. So so Amazing. her
1: donation was
0: 1.5 and then 1 million of it was for the football center and then the other part was to something else. I can't remember. Um, I will say though uh, these donations were already in the can. Um, doesn't make them any less awesome. Uh, but when Michael Kelly was on the podcast in July at Media Day, he mentioned that they were over $20 million and those are those two donations were part of the twenty million that he mentioned. Um, so it, we're we're around we're over twenty one million dollars now um, toward the uh, football center. So that's good, at least. Um, still a ways off. Um, I think Michael Kelly and Charlie Strong have kind of hinted, at least Charlie Strong has that. Okay, I think it's time we maybe start thinking about building half now and then half later. Um, we'll see how that goes. It may prove to be a little bit more costly, um, because you're paying for construction twice, um, instead of the one time. So we'll see. Um, I think that's it. Make sure you check out the Daily Stampede on the Internet, on Twitter at Stampede SBN, at Seth Farnador, at Anthony underscore, Anthony Vito underscore. Did I get that right? Perfect. Sweet. And uh, I'm at Bulls Nathan SBN. Be sure to come hang out with us uh, October 26th as we uh, host our watch party uh, for the ECU game. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, again, we've got uh, a couple tickets to give away, some more goodies in the store, and uh, 20% of the proceeds uh, go back to your favorite um, blog that's on uh, SB Nation that covers USF Athletics. Was I specific enough? Because it's probably not your favorite blog. If we are your favorite blog, you need to reevaluate your life decisions um, because you've made poor choices up to this point. I appreciate you and I love you, which is why I say you probably need to get help. <laughs> um, but thank you for the support. Um, and this was the Naughty podcast presented by Matrix Hormones 813. Three three three, two 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 six. if you're not feeling like yourself if you feel like Colin. Um probably if you feel like this podcast a little subdued. Not as extra as Colin is even in his old age. Uh give him a shout at eight one three 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 two 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 six or check him out at Matrixhormones dot com uh, Go bulls! Go bulls, go bulls.